Well, welcome to Abundant Life Church. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, to those in the room with me or those who are watching or listening online or joining through a podcast, so glad that you guys are part of this as well. Uh, my name is Jeremy, I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, if you would, get your journals out, get your Bibles out. We are in week three of a series called Say What? We are looking at misquoted verses of the Bible. And I'd encourage you, uh, bring your Bible to this series like we do each and every week. We're gonna get into it. And so today, uh, week three is where you can take notes in your journal and then get in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. So if you've got a physical analog Bible, that's awesome. You can get that out. If you've got a Bible app on a phone or a device, I encourage you to get that out as well. Uh, we'd love for you to read along with us in just a moment. I don't know if you've ever realized that we behave differently depending on who we're around. And so you may have noticed that you behave one way when you're with a certain group of friends and maybe you behave a different way when you're with your family and, and when you're by yourself, you behave even a different way. And you may not have a thought why, but you probably have acknowledged that this is true. One of the questions I have, you know, uh, for many years and I still have it is, uh, as a parent, I have five kids. As a parent of five little kids, what happens with my kids once we lay them down? Anyone else have this thought? Like, when I leave the room, what goes on when you guys just have, you know, this, this quiet time, whatever? And a number of years ago, I found out at least a partial answer to this question. Uh, we were moving some furniture around, and in our house at that point, uh, we had this landing area right outside the kids' bedrooms, and uh, we had these two chairs set up there uh, that were not normally there, but they were just there because we were moving things around, and and so when you have five little kids, uh, you have to divide and conquer on bedtime. And so we have to do bedtime in shifts, and you know, Michelle takes a few, and then we, we figure out a, a rotation how to get them all down. And, and so we were laying them down, and Michelle got done first, and so she just sat out in one of these chairs while she was waiting for me. Well, I, got, I finished up laying the kids down, and then I saw her there, and so I was like, all right, I'll sit with you. And so we just kind of sat there, and, and we were both sitting in the dark because it wasn't like really set up like that, and, and we're out you know, side of the kids' bedrooms, and have that moment where every parent understands you just go, <sighs> you know, like finally my time. Like for the first time of the day, you just catch your breath, compose yourself, and so we're just sitting there just unwinding, just trying to process this moment, and we're both sitting in the dark. Well, after we're sitting there for a few minutes, we're just talking quietly, I begin to see some activity in our kids' rooms. Now I'm thinking, oh, this is gonna be funny because we're gonna have a front row seat for this. And so all of a sudden, one of our kids pops their head out, looks out, sees that the coast is clear, and then tiptoes over to the stairs and looks over the ledge and sees that no parents are around. Runs back in, gives the all clear to the siblings. And so all of a sudden, you know, everyone's out and they're like going in and out of each other's rooms and we're watching this. And it's one of those moments as a parent, you might know this, that you know you're supposed to be mad, but you're laughing too hard that you, you're not ready to be mad, but you're, so, you're supposed to be mad, but you're just like, oh, this is really funny. They don't realize that we're here. And, and so they're going in and out and they're having a, you know, just a great old time with all of them. They think that nothing's going on. And, and we're watching this in the dark and just can't believe that this is just so comical. Well, they're getting more and more bold, you know, as they think like they've got the whole upstairs to themselves, mom and dad are gone, and, and they're just walking around, and, and uh, one of them is like walking around, and all of a sudden he glances over, because there's no reason to look in these, you know, this dark area, because there's not normally stuff there, and he glances over where we're sitting, and can notice like there's two silhouettes there, but can't quite make it out, like, looks like mom and dad, but it doesn't make sense, why would mom and dad be sitting there? And so he just freezes, looks over there, and then I'll never forget this, slowly begins walking toward us. <laughs> then gets within a few feet of us, his eyes are adjusting, right? And he goes, whoa, mom and dad. 
Then I'll never forget what he said next. He goes, I was looking for you guys. Where are you now? Where are you? You're looking for us. Well, you found us. Great job. Why is it that we get a little bit weird, a little bit different when there's different people around? Well, actually, that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to look at our misquoted verse involves how things are different when we're in a group of people. And so if you're with me in Matthew 18, verse 20 is our misquoted verse of the day. It says this. This is Jesus talking. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Ever heard this verse? Where two or three are gathered, there I am. And this is Jesus saying this. And today, you often hear this. I hear it at conferences a lot. I hear it at like a Christian con- uh, concert. You know, whenever like a worship leader's trying to hype up a room, it's like, guys, look around. Two or three are gathered. Jesus is here. And it's like, yeah, everyone's like pumped up. Like, all right. And, and it feels good. Like, oh, look, we got, we got it. We got two or three. Jesus is here. Let's get pumped. But we rarely think about the alternate part of this logic. So what happens if we don't have two or three gathered? Um, what, what then? Is, is God not available to individuals? Uh, he's only available to groups. Like maybe you think God is omnipresent, right? Which is the idea that God can be everywhere. Well, God is omnipresent, but, but only to groups. You know, God like, is available everywhere, wherever two or three are gathered, and, and maybe that's how you view it. But if you begin to unpack this idea, it, it begins to create a little bit of weirdness in our theology. Like, does God work like a spiritual HOV lane? Is, is that how God works? And so, if you know, like, you gotta have a certain amount of people with you to get that lane, but if you get enough people, God will show up, and then you can ride on this lane, and, and if you, oh, I'm sorry, you're driving by yourself? Can't use that lane today. You're gonna have to wait another day until you can get access to God. Is this... Is this how God works? Well, hopefully you begin to see that would create a little bit of weirdness with our theology. Like, imagine the Apostle Paul is going, all right, I wanna write a letter to the Ephesians. Um, Hey, somebody, get Barnabas so we can invoke the Holy Spirit because I need to write a letter here and can't do it by myself. Or maybe you wanted to pray and you're like, I can't wait till my roommate gets home so that I can pray with my roommate and that way God will, will hear us. You know, God will be there or or as a preacher, if I said, hey, I wanna work on a message for this weekend, but I'm gonna have to have other staff members involved at every point, otherwise God won't meet me there. I mean, is this verse intending to create a critical mass requirement of unless you have this, God will not show up? Is that really the point that we think is going on here? Well, to get context, uh, you have to read around a verse. Usually you have to go back a few verses ahead and go, what was said before this that gives us context for what we're talking about. And here's what's interesting about this one. If you go a verse earlier, you actually get a different way to misquote this verse. So today is kind of like a buy one, get one free on misquoted verses. And so I'm gonna show you, if you go back one verse to verse 19, notice how you can misquote it in a completely different way. Matthew 18, 19. Again, truly I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So you add a verse before, and, and now we figure out a formula for prayer. If your prayers aren't getting answered, now you know why, because you're praying them by yourself. And so maybe you think it works like this. Okay, God, uh, hey, uh, I'm praying to you, but as you can see, I got my friend Ben here. 
and Ben and I, we're praying together, and, uh, and, and we would like to ask for, uh, I don't know, like two Corvettes. And um, we're, we're asking in your name, of course, uh, but because there's two of us, I think you're spiritually obligated to answer this one. So, you know, ball's in your court, right? Now, here's the deal. You might think, okay, this is a formula. I can use this. Like, this is how I'm gonna get whatever I want. And if you're looking at God and you're thinking, hey, you're gonna create a formula to figure God out, I got bad news for you. Um, Jesus doesn't do formulas. And so you might think that this is giving you a formula, but you would be misunderstanding, you'd be misquoting it out of the context in which it really is. This is not about a formula. They might be going, okay, Jeremy, what is it about then? Well, if we want to know the context, I would suggest we go back to verse 15. And so I want to encourage you, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go back a few more verses to see the setup of what on earth are we talking about? Why are two or three people getting together and doing these different things? And here's what it says in Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. That sentence is so profound and life-shattering, I'm gonna read it again. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, not just hear you, but respond, uh, if they listen to you, you have won them over. So what we see of this you know, section, the context is dealing with sin in the church. Now that would be an advanced level of calling out sin in someone. So I would say a more uh, uh, you know, introductory level of what does this mean is, is dealing with conflict in the church. What do we do when we have conflict? Obviously would apply to dealing with sin, but I think this verse applies to a whole, a whole lot more with that. Of how do we handle conflict within the church? How, how are we supposed to think of that? Well, Paul elaborates on this idea elsewhere. Uh, he says it like this in Galatians chapter six. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person aggressively. Right? So we read it. Uh, restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Now, if you ever do actually deal with conflict in the church, uh, what happens for most of us is we let it boil up inside of us. And so we start the conflict, we're at a one or a two on the scale, and then it gets to a three, then a four, then a five, and a six, then a seven, then an eight, then a nine, and then by the time you go to that person, you are ready to go, and you just unload on them, and they're like, whoa, I had no idea we had conflict, I had no idea you had an issue, and that person is just reeling, and Paul goes, no, 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 restore that person gently. Like, just go to them and say, hey, can we talk Hey, there's, there's something going on, and I just I need to deal with something. Uh, again, how different of a model this is. And if we were to take these two ideas, hey, if you have an issue with someone, go talk to them one-on-one and do it gently. I think we could resolve easily almost every single issue we have in the church. Just these, these things. Just, hey, I'm gonna talk to that person, I'm gonna do it gently, and, and we'll just see where that goes. We could resolve most things. Have you ever been the last person to find out that someone has an issue with you? You ever been there? Like you hear through the grapevine like, oh, so-and-so told so-and-so told so-and-so that this original person is really hacked off at you. And you're like, what? Why are all these people involved? Why didn't they come and tell me? And well, they needed to get support for how they felt. And they were letting it boil up, you know, their intensity. So eventually you'll find out and now you've got a whole army of people against you because they never actually came and talked to you. 
See, when you gather together in the church, there is always going to be conflict. It is why uh, there are so many different churches. That are why there's so many versions of the church because conflict is inevitable when you gather people together. Now, here's a sad reality I have learned in my years of ministry uh, that I, ha- I would just, I've seen this to, to my core. I believe this to be true, and yet I grieve at the same time that this is true, that many people would rather leave a church than work through conflict in the church. I, I've just seen this time and time again. That many people, I might even say most people, would rather leave a church than work through conflict in the church. Let, let me give you a different analogy. Imagine uh, in a marriage, what, uh, what likelihood is there to be conflict and, and for uh, a couple to work through conflict? Well, we would say the odds are high that, that in a marriage you're gonna have to work through conflict. Why? Because most marriages do not begin uh, with an assumption of the moment this gets hard, we're gonna divorce. Right? That's not how marriage is, is designed. And so maybe you go, well, divorce is like a last-ditch effort, but you have an expectation in a marriage that you're going to work through conflict together because there's a shared commitment to that. Therefore, working through conflict seems normal. But most of us, we don't attend a church, and we don't think of it at all like a commitment to a marriage. We attend church with a prenup already. Right? I'm gonna go there and here's what I'm taking when I leave. And so we already know when things go wrong, here's how I'm going to leave. Now, I'm not suggesting you have to marry the local church, but I don't think we should be casually dating the local church. I think there should be a little bit more of a committed relationship there. And, and so that there should be an expectation of when there is conflict, here is how I'm going to navigate it. Here's how I'm going to work through it. Now, I see two applications of this. There is conflict if you have with the church, uh, you know, the leadership of the church, the, whatever, or conflict with a person in the church that the church has to deal with, okay? So let's address the first one. Uh, what do you do if you have conflict with the church? Now, what is interesting to me about this is um, I plan uh, these sermon series out usually months in advance. So I don't, I don't write them months in advance, but I know here's the passage or here's the main idea of where we're going to go. And, uh, you know, then when I get there that week, uh, it depends on what my week looks like as to, you know, how I'm going to actually prepare that. So I never know uh, when I'm pr- planning something months ahead what is going to be happening in my life at that time. But God has a funny sense of humor that oftentimes as a preacher, you end up going through whatever you're preaching that week which means I should preach on far happier topics than I do uh, so that I can experience all the blessings of God, you know? But uh, nonetheless, you know, when you're dealing about conflict and community, you're gonna experience it that week. And so I had two stories uh, that I experienced, just me personally this week, that have got me thinking about this idea. Uh, Let me uh, contrast the two of them. One uh, conversation was I found out someone had left our church months ago. I found out about it this week. And the reason they left was because of my theological belief on a non-essential. Okay? Now, if you're going, what's a non-essential? That means, you know, we have eight things that we say as a church. This is what it means to be Christian. There's lots of other opinions you can have on everything else. um, But those would be non-essential, meaning you can have a variety of opinions on that and still be a Christian as long as you get Jesus right. So a family left because of my belief on a non-essential Uh, of the faith. Here's the sad irony. I don't even believe what they think I believe. 
So they left the church over something they think I believe that I don't actually believe, uh, but I never had the chance or they never got the, you know, uh, a chance to hear someone go, no, that's not actually true. He doesn't actually believe that. And so I was grieving this week going, man, that's so sad to me uh, that someone would leave uh, and, and not even the fact that it's a non-essential, so you don't think you should leave a church over non-essentials, but whatever, but someone left over that because of their view of something that wasn't even accurate. Or uh, a second conversation I had this week, someone uh, set up a time to meet with me and they had gone through our Discover ALC class. And uh, this is a class we do once a month uh, at each of our campuses, the campus pastors teach it. It's an incredible class uh, to find out more about ALC. What, what, do, what do we believe? What's our philosophy of ministry? How do we do it? You know, if you wanna get you know, really some next steps, this is a class I'd recommend to you. And, and someone had attended this and in that class we go through our list of eight essentials of the faith. And uh, she had a question about three of them. And so she set up a time, she said, hey, I wanna meet with you. And so I said, okay. Uh, so we got together and, and you know, I'm thinking, uh, okay, there's only eight and you don't like three of them, so this might not go well, uh, but let's, let's talk it through. And so we talked through these three and I go, this is really what this means and this is how we believe it. And she goes, wow, that's incredible. Uh, it's so great to hear that. Uh, I'm in, I'm, I'm fully in, I love it. I'm like, oh, Okay, that, that's great. And, you know, she's left my office and felt jazzed up for what's going on in this community. And, and so I was left thinking about these two conversations going, what's the difference, right? Where one person leaves over something that's not even accurate and the other person goes, hey, I've got some questions uh, and I wanna work these through. And, and it's just a willingness to, to go a little bit further the moment that you experience conflict. Let, let me give you this analogy. Imagine if Pastor Aaron Walton, uh, you heard, had stolen a car. Now, for those of you joining us online, uh, Aaron is our Happy Valley Campus pastor and is the least likely person for this to ever be true. In fact, most people would give him a car if he asked them for it. But let's just say, uh, for the sake of this illustration, you heard that Aaron stole a car. Now you, you go, I cannot be a part of a church with pastors that steal cars. <laughs> I've got standards and I, I'm not okay with that. I'm going to leave this church. And you could leave and you could tell everybody why you're leaving. They're gonna go, oh my goodness, the pastor stole a car there? That is, yeah, you should leave. I mean, you should tell everybody to leave. And it could be a whole thing because you can't be a part of a church where pastors steal cars. Or you could say, you know what? That doesn't sound like Aaron. I need to go find out more. And you could, <laughs> this is gonna sound crazy, I know. Ask Aaron about it. Right? I know, it's weird. Uh, you could ask Aaron about it, or if you're like, I'm not comfortable with that, ask someone who knows Aaron, who's pretty involved, and go, hey, I need to get uh, an accurate answer to this. I heard this. That doesn't sound like Aaron. Is, is this true? Is there any validity to that? And you could work your way through a conflict and, and navigate it in real time. Now, here's the reality. Um, when you are a part of a church, there is always gonna be decisions that you don't understand or maybe even you don't agree with. Hey, I would do it differently. And you can either decide, hey, the moment something changes that I don't like, I will leave, in which case, get ready to, to attend a lot of churches in your life. Or you can say, hey, I'm going to find a way to work through the conflict. Now here's the deal, I would love to personally meet with every single person of Abundant Life on every single question you have. My time does not uh, create that, I could never pull that off, I would love to do that. But I would hope that you would ask someone, 
right? That you would go, hey, I need to find a credible source and, and go and verify, or I just need to, I'm frustrated with something, I need to talk to someone about it. That could be another staff member, could be someone in your life group, it could be someone that attends with you, that you would feel like you could work it through with someone rather than going, wow, I have conflict, I must need to leave this church. So that's one way of thinking about this is, okay, conflict with the church. But what about if the church has conflict with someone and the church needs to resolve it and the church needs to address something going on? How do we do that? Well, let's keep reading. We'll find out the answer to that one. Verse 16 says, but if that person will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. Okay, let's, hold on, hold on. Let's unpack this, uh, because some of you just got really excited. No, (laughs) the goal here is to address conflict, to address sin with as few of people as possible. Okay, so the goal is not, yes, I get to get all my friends, we're gonna gang up on this person and we're gonna humiliate them. No, 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 no. uh, You begin with one-on-one conversation and then you escalate it, you bring a few other people in as needed. This is how it is recommended to deal with sin in the church. Now, here's the reality. I often hear from people that want me as the pastor to regularly call out sin from the pulpit. You need to preach sermons against this sin, against these people, against this group. You need to call it out. And yes, that is one way of of addressing issues. And sometimes I might call something out and go, hey, we gotta talk about this, this is a problem. But here's the reality. If we understood Matthew 18 and we all took ownership of this, there would be very little need for me as the pastor to call it out publicly. Because the moment you see an issue, the moment you have a, a problem, you go, I'm gonna go address it. I'm gonna go talk to that person. And if you as the church did this, we wouldn't have to have these big, huge, hey, let's come down hard on them. We would just deal with it in real time and and it would just naturally work its way out. But most of us, we think, oh, this Matthew 18, that's that's for like the pastors to do. They have to do that. No, no, no. Jesus is instructing us how to have Christian community. If you want to exist with the people around you, this is what it takes. You, You have to be willing to have hard conversations if something needs to be called out. So why are we bringing other people involved then? What's the deal with that? Well, have you ever noticed that sometimes you can be so heated in a conversation, so emotionally invested, that you're not really hearing the person you know, accurately? And so what you think you're hearing is not actually what they're saying to you. And someone else can come in and go, whoa, 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 s- slow down. They're not saying that to you. This is what they're saying. And you go, Oh, okay, I heard it wrong. Or parents, you ever had it where you tell your kids something over and over and over and they ignore you and they ignore you and ignore you and one other person they meet tells them that and they go, I just got the best advice ever. <laughs> what? I have been telling you that. They're like, no, never heard that from you. But this person said, and you're like, whoa, whoa. Why? Because they heard it from someone else. They were able to understand it. This is what happens with the church, that you might have a disagreement with someone, you might have an issue, if you bring someone else who cares about both of you and has the same Holy Spirit, that you can begin to resolve conflict and you begin to work through conflict in a healthy way. 
Lord. Now, what about that phrase of pagans and tax collectors, right? So Jeremy, doesn't that mean that at a certain point we can just write people off and we are justified to do it? That's why we all got a little bit excited when we got to that verse. So what's a pagan and tax collector? If you're new to the church scene, new to the Bible, you're going, I'm not understanding why this reference. What's a pagan, what's a tax collector? These were outsiders in this culture, okay? These are the people that are unlikely to be involved. These are like the people you would not expect to be in this kind of community. So today, how does the church uh, treat outsiders? How should we treat people who would be unlikely people to be a part of this because of what they believe or what they, how they behave or whatever? How does the church treat them? Well, it depends on which church you go to, but I can answer it for abundant life. How do we treat outsiders? We give ourselves to make the gospel good news for them. That's how we treat outsiders. We expect our family to serve them. So if you're an outsider and you go, I don't feel like I fit in here, we're so glad that you're here, we're gonna serve you. That, that's, how, that's our posture to you. We're so glad that you're here uh, that while you're processing this and you're just determining if you wanna follow Jesus and if you wanna experience you know, discipleship with us, you wanna become more like Jesus, while you're weighing that out, we're going to keep serving you in the meantime. That, that's how our church does it. With the hopes that one day you would say, I wanna be a part of this family. I wanna do what you guys are doing. I wanna, I wanna be like that. I wanna become more like Jesus and I wanna serve other people with you. And we would say, absolutely, come on in. But if you have someone who's in the family, who is living in sin, who is having huge issues, creating division in the church, it is the responsibility of the church, meaning all of you and me and all of us together, to address it, to call it out, and to hopefully work toward a restoration, work toward some type of solution. And if it doesn't work, you say, all right, look, you're still welcome here, you're just not going to be a part of the family until uh, you know, this changes or until you work this through. But the whole idea is for restoration. It is for healing. It is for a broken relationship to be restored. It is never a free pass to go. The moment someone is in that category, write them off, be done with them, and you have biblical precedent to do so. That is not what's going on here. Now, with that in mind, let's get to verse 18. And we'll read through verse 20 to see uh, how all this fits together. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is a very confusing passage to a lot of people. Uh, I would translate it like this. The decisions that the community of the church makes matters immensely in people's lives. The decisions that you and I do when we forgive and we don't forgive, when we work through things, that these have eternal implications for people's lives. It matters so much. Verse uh, 19. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. See, the context here is dealing with sin. That when you deal with sin and when you deal with conflict within the church, there is a way to do it that brings in Christ's authority, that brings in the body of Christ, rather than just, I don't like you, I have an issue with you, or we're, we're just not gonna talk anymore. There is a supernatural way to deal with this, and this is what Jesus is inviting us to experience. So I would, I would conclude it like this. We don't need community for Jesus to show up. We need community for Jesus to be fully revealed. See, you can have Jesus by yourself. When you are alone, you have Jesus, okay? That is not what this verse is about. But what Jesus is promising us is that if you will come together in Christian community, you will see Jesus revealed in unique ways that you will not see 
otherwise. Well, why? Why does this matter? Because community is hard. If you have never experienced this, you're going, I don't think it's that hard. It's incredibly hard. Being a part of a life group is hard. Being a part of a church is hard. Serving at a church is hard. Why? Because relationships are hard. Every single relationship. And if you don't begin with that premise, the rest of what Jesus is saying won't make sense. You're going, why do we need that? We need it because relationships are so hard. And in case you need a reminder, watch this. You're laughing because you've been there. And you know, relationships are hard. And the more you add together, the harder it gets. And so the very idea, the very premise of the church is incredibly difficult. When we say, hey, let's be a part of something bigger than us, and, and we're, it's gonna be amazing. And you're gonna go, oh man, it's gonna be a lot of conflict. And to that, I wanna encourage you with two different things. Number one, if you have submitted your life to Jesus Christ, he is always with you. You do not need critical mass, you do not need other people, you always have Jesus. This is in Jesus' own words, how he said it, Matthew 28. And surely I am with you always. Not some of the time, not part of the time, not when two or three are gathered. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, it is true, Jesus said this to a group, but it was not an official gathering of the church, so it doesn't count, all right? So this is Jesus saying, look, I will be with you always, which means when you wake up in the morning, God is with you. When you go to bed at night, God is with you. When you go to work, God is with you. When you take out the trash, God is with you. When you are laying in a hospital room by yourself, God is with you. When you don't feel like your prayers are being answered, God is with you. This is so fundamental to following Jesus, and yet we overlook this simple reality. As uh, Greg Boyd says it, reality is always now. And the single most important aspect of reality is that God is present in it every moment. To forget that God is present in any given moment is to forget the most important aspect of that moment. And so we begin and we conclude with the reality that God is with us. We do not need two or three in order to experience God. But what this verse also teaches us is that God will supernaturally empower the community of the church. That God will supernaturally aid us in what we are attempting to do because it is harder than we can pull off on our own. And so Jesus says, hey, I'll help you. This is why we pray in groups. Not because we can't be heard by God if we don't pray in groups, but because something else happens to us, to one another, to our revelation of God as we pray in a group. It's been illustrated in a variety of ways, but I, I love this simple illustration. If you think of it like a triangle, we're all trying to get to God. I wanna experience God, I wanna see God. And so if I start here, I can just approach it, me and God, or I can go, hey, I'm also gonna connect with you, and as you and I connect, we both will be drawn closer to God. This can happen in a, a marriage centered on Jesus, can happen in a friendship centered on Jesus, can happen in a community centered on Jesus. This is what happens when we come together. Now in our culture today, it's incredibly popular to say, no, let's just be individualistic. Uh, it's about you and God. You don't need the church. You don't need religion. You don't need all that other stuff. It's just you and God. And what that approach does is like, I'm just gonna have this. And many people try to do this and you will never fully experience Jesus. 
by yourself. Now, it doesn't mean he's not with you. It just means when you experience him in community, you're going to see God show up in unique ways as you resolve conflict, as you work through things, you're going to see Jesus. Which is why we encourage you, hey, you wanna be a part of the family here? We're gonna give you some practical steps that we'd encourage you to take. For example, everyone we'd recommend to be in a life group. Oh, I don't have time for life groups, why would I do that? Because when you find, you go, hey, I'm gonna be over here, I wanna get to God, but I'm gonna bring you into it. And a whole bunch of yous into a life group who know me, and together we're gonna experience God. You all are going to see God work things out in a unique way. If you've ever been a part of a life group, lots of conflict in life groups. Why? Because it is community and it is hard and Jesus says, I'll help you work through it. So I would encourage you, hey, if you wanna be a part of the family here, we'd encourage you to serve on a team. Why? Because when you begin to serve with a group of people week in and week out and together you are doing the ministry of the church, you cannot help but see and experience God in unique ways. So I would encourage you, you should be constantly talking about your faith. You should be constantly talking about what Jesus is doing in your life. To, to people who live next to you, your literal neighbors, you should talk to them about Jesus. To the people you work with, to your friends and your family, you should constantly be talking to them about Jesus. Why? Because when you do that, you will both experience God in unique ways. You, you see, we don't need God to, to be, you know, to show up, we don't need people to show up. We need God to be fully revealed in the sense of community. And it only happens when we invite others into this conversation. Now, if you're here with us today and you're going, I'm in. I, I wanna experience this. I'm missing out on the triangle. I'm not fully getting that. I wanna encourage you to go to starting point after the service and just say, hey, I, I need a next step. I, I need something. I need a life group or a serving team or something. I need to be a part of, of what is going on here so that other people can be a part of my life. Will it be hard? Absolutely. And Jesus has supernaturally promised to help us make it work. Let me close with something that Mike Pilavachi said. He said, being plugged in to a good church is better than listening to a podcast from a great church. Involvement trumps eavesdropping. Now here's the reality. You can pull up your podcast and you can find many preachers far better than myself. If that is what church is to you, that's all a church is to you, you can find that. But I would hope you realize that the church is not just the person talking on the weekend. The church is the community that you're a part of when you are doing life together, when you are serving together, when people are doing that with you. And that is what beats eavesdropping. But most of us, if we're honest, we show up and we eavesdrop and we go, I didn't fully get much out of it. Well, if you're eavesdropping, you're never going to fully experience God. We're gonna encourage you, get involved, let people in, enter into the messiness of community because it's always worth it. And that is how we see a more complete revelation of who Jesus is. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, as we explore you through community, we ask that you would help us here, that you would uh, motivate us and encourage us that it's worth it that it might be easier to sit on the sidelines and, and not take that risk and not enter into the messiness of that. But if it's just us and you and we don't ever allow others in, we're not gonna fully see how you show up in the midst of community. And, and so God, I pray that we would begin with the premise that you are already with us. But for us to see your fullness, we need to see it in community. 
and you showing up to help us work through conflict, to, to work through sin, to, to move together as a group, to, to be vulnerable with one another, to heal and to forgive and, and to work through all these dynamics. And in the midst of that, we will see a beautiful picture of you. And so we ask that you would teach us how to do this, that you would motivate us to do this, that you would give us the right heart when, when it comes to conflict and how we try to resolve it. And God, we thank you that you have promised to help us in this uh, because we know that this one is far beyond us. And so uh, would you encourage us and instruct us to move forward in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.